Psalm 40 this evening. Um, we're going to split this psalm uh, into two different sections. Uh, normally, it would be split only; it would be split into three. But um, we're going to go through uh, Psalm 40 verses one through eight this evening, and then next Sunday uh, we will finish out the psalm. Uh, this psalm. It impacted me greatly uh, back in 2008. Uh, 2008, we had Noah, uh, February 2008, and several weeks after Sonia had delivered Noah, uh, Sonia started having severe debilitating migraines, and uh, they weren't they weren't lessening at all and uh, continued to get worse and worse. And as summer began to approach, uh, the the migraines had gotten so bad that they led to uh, deep convulsions and she would often be just laying on the floor uh, just in complete pain and agony. And um, I remember feeling quite helpless during that time uh, as her husband, as a new dad. I wanted to be able to come in and figure out how I could help her, how I could be able to fix this problem. Um, But I was confronted with my own humanity, my lack of ability, and uh, and just placed in a a place of crying out to God uh, for my wife, for our situation, for our newborn son. Um, And I, I, again, just feeling utterly helpless. And... um, and so during that time, I began to read through Psalm 40 and to meditate upon it. And God really used this psalm to minister to me as we were going through this difficult circumstance. Praise God, uh, Sonia received great medical care. Uh, they found that she had a large brain tumor um, and she would go through three brain surgeries from 2008 to 2009. Uh, And finally, at the end of 2009, she was healed and she's not really had too many issues from that now. So uh, we we were able to witness God's deliverance in a situation that seemed uh, quite impossible at the moment. So, So let me begin with reading through Psalm 40 and then we will pray. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. 
I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverance. Do not delay, O my God. Let's pray. Father, we are here this evening confessing that we are poor and needy. Uh, Lord, we are... uh, We have sinned against you many times, Lord. We have uh, disobeyed your commandments, um, but yet, Lord, you are gracious, and Father, you are merciful upon your people. Father, you have been so merciful as to give your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Lord and Savior, that he shed his blood upon the cross for our sins, and that now we have this life in Christ. You've brought us into fellowship with you, Thank you, Father, for delivering us from the miry pit. Thank you, God, for setting our feet upon the rock. Lord, let us think about these scriptures. Lord, let them penetrate our hearts. Let us go out this evening having transformed hearts. We pray in Christ's name, amen. So Psalm 40, there's a lot of different opinions on this psalm. Um, when Charles Spurgeon taught through this psalm, he wanted to focus uh, on Christ all through this psalm. And he looked at this psalm as purely messianic. And so when he preached through this, um, he often would go through these verses seeing how it tied into Christ. Now John Calvin looked at it and said that this psalm was just for David. Uh, This really wasn't pointing towards uh, the Messiah. And ultimately, Matthew Henry then would look at this and say, well, I see both. I see that this is David's life, but there's definitely uh, a messianic insight into this. The prophecy that we see in here is is definitive as we even look at it in Hebrews. So for me, as I look at it, I kind of would line up a little bit more where Matthew Henry is. I think that this is David definitely conveying real things that are going on or have gone on in his life. Um, and I think that there's also this level of hope that he has in the coming Messiah. So 
As we go into the verse one, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. This waiting patiently, uh, the, the, the original Hebrew was patiently, I was patient. Or as I waited, as I was waiting, I waited. Uh, as I was hoping, I hoped. Uh, it's showing this intense posture of just being in a place of being able to do nothing but wait upon the Lord, filled with hope, knowing that he is the sovereign God, the one who is only able to deliver David. And here it says, he inclined to me. So David is saying that God, literally this, this inclining is this moving towards, this bowing towards David, this, this, the God of the universe actually moving towards David and seeing his pain, seeing his position. He's moving towards David and he hears David's cry. It's so intimate. <laughs> and as he's hearing David's cry, he also, he draws him up from the pit of destruction out of this miry bog. We don't know exactly what point in David's life uh, this situation has taken place. There's so many different, as, as Pastor Chris has been teaching through 2 Samuel, obviously we've already seen in a short period of time how many things have happened in David's life. So this psalm isn't necessarily highlighting one particular place, but something happened, something that was more devastating in David's life, something where he felt more uh, away from everything. And this actual, this, this pit of destruction, this miry bog, uh, the original language was, it's a, it's a pit of tumult. It's a, it's a loud, noisy pit of confusion, of, of loudness, whether it was counsel that was hitting David from left or right, um, whether it was just being in a, a, a place of war, of battle, and experiencing just the sounds of war as David's hunkered down. Um, we're, not, we're not sure, but it's a horrible place. And it's a place that he realized there was nothing within himself that could move himself out of it. But God draws him out and he sets David's feet upon a rock. And God makes his steps, David's steps, secure. Now this, this rock for us as believers, we know that as we are pulled out of the miry pit and we are, our feet are set upon a rock, that rock is Christ, who's the cornerstone, the foundation of our salvation, of our beliefs, of our fellowship. And for David, we know that he had this great hope in the coming Messiah. We know that all through David's writings, there's many Psalms that are very messianic as David is thinking through what's to come, the promises that were laid out, knowing that through this Davidic covenant that one day the Messiah would come through his line. We know that David had this great faith. And so as David is being pulled out of this miry bog and as his feet are now being set upon this rock and his steps are secure, meaning that as David is walking, as he's moving forward, his steps are right. They're in line with God's will. 
They're moving in a direction of righteousness. And that can only be accomplished when our feet are set upon the rock. Now, David says, he, God, put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. This, this song is most, most probable that it is this psalm that we are reading this evening. Um, this psalm was to go out to the choir masters, the ones who were headed up for public worship. So as these psalms, as the Psalter was opened and in front of all of Israel, these psalms would be sung publicly. This would have been put out to them that the king of Israel is writing these intimate details about this time in his life and his utter dependence. The one who was able to move soldiers here or to there, the one who had all fortunes at his disposal, the one who by all means was probably the most powerful man in the world, was left helpless and unable to do anything and completely dependent upon God to move in his life. And knowing that, as he was pulled out of that, he's now given this new song. And this song that now he desires to declare to the nations. This song of praise. This new song is a song that was never sung before. <laughs> this is a, a completely new song for David. David is completely captivated by this reality of being delivered, being redeemed. I think about us as we've been pulled out of the pit of destruction, as our feet have been set upon the rock who is Christ, and now we are given this abundant life in Christ. He's put new songs upon our lips. He's given us a song of thanksgiving, a testimony, one that we should desire to proclaim to the nations one that we should desire to go and tell of the wondrous deeds that God has accomplished in our lives. This is a song of praise. This is why we gather as the church, as we sing songs, as we have these lyrics up on the screens and we are singing these songs out. It's not just for our stirring up of our emotions to do something cool, to do something fun together, but this is to sing truth, to sing truth of who God is and what God has done in our lives, what he has brought us out of, what he has given us, how great he is. These songs need to be rooted in truth. These are tr this is true praise to God. Now, as the church gathers, as we come together, as we are worshiping together, as we have this testimony upon our lips, many will see and many will fear. And we know that as men are brought to a place of fearing the Lord, this is the place, the beginning of wisdom, where they begin to discern things, trying to figure out what is happening here. This is not like anything I've, I've ever seen in this world. This is, this is different. This is something new. This is something that can only be brought on by a holy God. And as people see test, this testimony that's on our lips, as they see this new life that we're living out, as we are having our steps secure, walking in righteousness, many others will put their trust in the Lord. 
You know, when we went to the Philippines back in 2015, we went there and, uh, and we started connecting with this little village, Kamandag Tris. And as we went into Kamandag, uh, this, this village was filled with uh, many young children that had been abandoned by, by families uh, as different families had come from the province, moved into Metro Manila. Uh, these families would often look for work when they were put into a place where there wasn't work available to them, they would then get pushed back out into the outer provinces. And oftentimes they didn't have enough funds to be able to bring their whole family. And so many times they would leave some of their children behind. And so many of these kids would come together and they would form these barcadas, these groups, and they would kind of protect each other they were little gangs that they looked out for each other. And each of these gangs would usually have someone who was looking after them, uh, kind of a, a father figure, uh, which in our case, in the village that we were in, they had this young, or they had this older man named Tatai Bang. And Tatai Bang was kind of the godfather of the, of the Barkata. And when we met Tatai Bang, he was a drunkard. This man had 19 children, and his wife had abandoned him, moved uh, into the southern part of the island, and left him with all 19 of his kids. And he was living along the side of this river. And he didn't know what to do with his life. Uh, he, he was despairing of life. He wanted to drink himself to death. Uh, that was his plan for life. And these kids that started coming into the village that started hanging out with his 19 children, uh, slowly his little tiny shack filled with 19 kids started having other little shacks form around it. And before you know it, there was hundreds of kids living all around this river basin. And so Tatai Bang he started coming up to where we were doing our ministry uh, in a little McDonald's, and he started bringing some of the kids. And he says, I have, I, I have nothing. I, I have no ability to help these kids. I can't help myself. I'm a drunk. And uh, he said, can you guys help us? And so over months turning into years, uh, we spent time just discipling Tatai Bang, discipling the kids that were with him. And we watched this man uh, who was completely, just utterly helpless. There was no part of him that was able to do anything that was productive within society or anything like that. We began to watch his life be transformed by God. We began to see a man uh, who started to set his steps towards God. He began to read God's word every day, and he began to also share God's word with his children. And Last year before we left, um, we left, we packed up as a family in September. I packed up our house in November. But around August, Tatai Bang, uh, he lost one of his sons. One of his sons was down picking trash out of the river that they lived along. And as he pulled, was pulling the trash out of the river, they had opened up a floodgate upper, on the upper level of the river. And when they did that, it came down and they had a, a flash flood right there and it swept him out. And 
Tatai Bang, he contacted uh, Dan and myself and we went into this village and we spent time with Tatai Bang and he knew he had lost his son. It took about maybe close to a week for them to find his son as he was swept all the way down towards uh, the, the, the base of the river. And, uh, and Tatai Bang, he said to us, he said, you know, previously I would have had a situation like this happen in my life and I would have turned back to just drinking my life away. I would have went back to just the things that I was involved with, gambling and spending time with women and doing all the things that I shouldn't have done. Um, but he said, now, even in the midst of losing my son, my desire is to go back to God's word and I wanna just spend time with my savior. And, um, and I think to myself how often as we go through these very difficult times in our life, as we are being pulled out of the miry pit, <laughs> Oftentimes, even when we feel like we are set back on the rock, there's often this lack of patience that we have, um, where often we turn back to things that we had done prior in our lives, the things that we thought we had put to death. We return to those things, whether it's temptation, whether it's sexual temptation, whether it's drunkenness, whether it's even just doing things in our own strength, trying to control situations, make them happen according to the way we see things being planned out. But David is modeling something much different. He's modeling a life of submission here in this psalm. He's modeling dependence upon his God, which is where we should be. And I think as he's looking at this, he's seeing that there's really a blessing, a true blessing as he says in verse four, four, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. And it's really tempting when we are in these horrible situations to turn and to move towards the things of this world. Um, those within our current culture that represent the proud, uh, we can look at those in our entertainment industry that are putting forth this image of having everything together, having the, the fast cars, the beautiful homes, all the money that they need, being able to travel wherever they want to go, um, that this somehow is, is supposed to give us some semblance of this is what life is about, and this gives us stability and peace within our lives. But it's foolishness. It's absolutely foolishness. The one who has peace, the one who is blessed, is the one who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the left or to the right, but keeps his eyes fixed upon the cross. David, he says in verse five, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you, and I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. So David, as he's going through this time of thinking through what he was pulled away from, he's also thinking about all the other times that he had been delivered, 
all of the times that not only had he been delivered, but the nation of Israel had been delivered, that God had continued despite their rejection, despite their adulterous hearts, despite their constant wickedness, constantly turning back to idolatry. God continued to be gracious upon them. God continued to move them towards ultimately what was his goal of seeing who this Savior would be, which is his son, Christ Jesus. And you know, when we go into these difficult situations, sometimes we can get so consumed, our our view becomes very myopic. We, we can only see the, the, the huge situation that's directly in front of us. I can only see the fact that my wife right now is struggling and could be dying from this brain tumor. I can become so consumed with this, the, this, the frightfulness of, of this reality that seems so much like it's leading towards death and hopelessness, that I lose sight of all that God has delivered me from in the past. David, though, is remembering. He's remembering that, God, you have, you have multiplied your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. Not only are these deeds, things that God has done in David's life, but the fact that David knows that this, this holy God has been thoughtful of David. Just that, that like, just to stop and think about that. <laughs> just this idea of a holy God thinking about his people. That he is constantly thinking about his people. Now, I, I don't want to humanize God. <laughs> But at the same side, there's a real reality to this idea of us having this beautiful relationship with a holy God. And oftentimes as we think and as we pray about God, sometimes it can feel very one-sided. It can feel often, especially in our circumstances when we are going through difficulties in our life, like we are praying out to maybe a God who Possibly, is he even hearing about us? Not only is he hearing our cries, but he's, he's doing deeds to work about all of this for his glory. He's thinking about all of these things, and he's thinking about how this works toward us and towards himself. And as David is thinking about this holy God, David is saying, none, nothing can compare with you. Nothing can be placed beside you. You know, when one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 78, um, I just, for, for being able to try and give vision towards family ministry, Psalm 78 is just this beautiful Psalm of fathers being able to disciple the next generation, that they might not be like their stiff-necked, stubborn previous generation, that they might tell of the glorious deeds of the Lord. And then as you go through from like verse 9 on, you've got all of these amazing deeds that God had done despite all of the wickedness that was happening in Israel, that there's this kind of... Rem- remembering what God has brought them through. 
Um, even like when Moses is writing down and he begins to pen in, in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, even before he starts, he, he wants them to remember, God wants them to remember that, that he is the, the Lord God who brought them out of Egypt. There's always this, here, here's what I have for you to move you towards righteousness, to move you in this direction, but remember what I have done in your life. Remember what I have brought you out of in your life. David said, I will proclaim and tell of them. They are more than can be told. It's it's wonderful to be able to sometimes just take inventory in our lives to think through all the things that God has done in each of our lives to bring us to where we are tonight. Um, I had a class last year in seminary. It was a personal spiritual disciplines with Dr. Don Whitney. And um, one of the focuses that we had was just on uh, prayer. And, and he brought us through praying through the scriptures, but then he gave us a section on praying prayers of thankfulness. And he wanted us to journal uh, just as much as we could all of the things that God had brought us through. Everything, everything that we could think through. And I, I filled up a whole entire like composition book just full of things that I could look back at on all the things that I could think through in my life that God had either delivered me from, was continuing to save me from, um, or even things that I knew ultimately he was going to save me from. Because uh, that's also, like for the believer, we have also this great eschatological hope, knowing that all around us, the world is crumbling, that we are in a loud, chaotic world that is falling apart, but we have this great hope knowing that one day God will make all things new again. And that's a beautiful hope that we have. So even in our current circumstances or in our past circumstances, it just doesn't end there. It also moves us towards this future hope of knowing that even what we face eventually we still do not have to fear in those things. They are more than can be told. So now there's this transition here. Uh, this transition in verses 6, 7, and 8 is where we are given this prophetic view of the coming Messiah. Uh, we can see this in Hebrews chapter 10. And in Hebrews chapter 10, the authors are going to elaborate on this a lot more. And so we will go through a section of this in Hebrews chapter 10. We'll go through verses 1 through 14. We'll read it and it kind of unpacks what's written here. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10, when this was written, uh, this was looking back at the Greek Septuagint. So the wording is slightly different um, from what the Greek Septuagint had put here as it wrote over Psalm 40, as opposed to what we are reading in the Hebrew in Psalm 40 here. So you'll see a little variance in the words, but let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 14. 
And it says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of, those, of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, now I quote Psalm 40, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So, what does this mean? <laughs> and he's going to unpack it now in verses 8 through 14. It's going to kind of give us better insight into what was happening here. And as we read in Psalm chapter 40, we're going to see that. And I, and I think that when David is penning this section... Not only does he have in view the Messiah, but I also think that he's also thinking through even things that had happened in the past. Uh, if you'd remembered uh, Saul, King Saul, had gone and when he was commanded to destroy, I believe, I want to not misquote it, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, When Saul goes in and he is to destroy everything and he says, but the people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things devoted to the destruction, to the sacrifice, to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. So Saul, he was supposed to destroy all that was among, I believe, the Amalekites and he wound up kind of disregarding God's direct orders and he thought to do something that might bring honor to God by taking the best of their sheep, the best of their rams and still sacrificing it. And ultimately, this would be the dividing point of where now Saul is no longer. God actually says that he relented. He, he regretted putting Saul in the place of king over Israel. And so I think that David was very aware of what had happened. I think that plays into some of this wording as well. But here as we go back to Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews is going to unpack this idea, this idea of obedience being much greater than this act of sacrifice. And he says, when he said 
above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, which was himself, for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And this is one of the beautiful things that we are given as hope in our current circumstances. You know, when we have difficulties in our life, oftentimes we go back to works. Um, We kind of reassume this this posture of being orphans again. We forget our adoption in Christ. And we begin to feel like maybe I need to work my way towards pleasing a God. We almost become animistic with, with the way that we interact with our holy God. And we feel like if I can only do these certain tasks, if I can only accomplish this, and maybe this difficulty in my life will, will change. Maybe this thing that has been pressing me down will be better if I can follow these steps towards holiness. And, you know, when, when we were in the Philippines, it's a, it's a Catholic nation, it's 84% Catholic there, and um, it's a little bit different than Catholicism, Roman Catholicism that we see here. Uh, it's very blended with many of their old tribal traditions. Uh, so you'll see many of their practices uh, are kind of adapted, some of the self-masochism and things that they were doing within their own tribal practices. They now are blending that with their Catholicism and combining that to now have this weird works-based faith that is anything but reflective of the gospel. And so oftentimes you'll see them going through difficulties like if they have a child who is sick, who is needing medical care, they will go to the Catholic Church and they will walk up the steps of the Catholic Church with razor cuts on their knees. They will cut their knees and bleed and then come up the steps of the Catholic Church and go all the way up the center aisle on their knees and then they will pray and light candles and they think that if they do this over and over again as they continue to do this that it might bring healing and bring them out of this horrible situation. And as crazy and as distorted as that seems to us here in America, we do similar things. We often fill our practices when difficulties arise with weird things, weird thoughts, uh, our minds get filled with practices that if I could only change this one thing in my life, maybe God would value me and look upon me and change my current circumstances. But this is, this is not 
this is not reflective of what the gospel, what scripture teaches us. And so as we look through here, we like David need to have our eyes fixed upon Christ. We need to have our eyes fixed upon the only one who can bring us from death to life the only one who is sovereign in all situations, the one who has the power to pull us from these pits of destruction, the one who is able to set our feet upon a rock, the one who is able to place songs of thanksgiving upon our lips. We need to be completely dependent upon our holy God. Anything else, anything else beyond obedience and dependence is going back to the practice of trying to make sacrifices and burnt offerings. These sacrifices, these offerings, these burnt offerings, these sin offerings, this, David wanted to make sure that this encompassed all forms of their practice. There was nothing in here that could lead them towards fixing these situations. It was only in Christ. So as we leave this evening, as we finish up our time together this evening, it would be great for us just to think about all the wondrous deeds that God has done in our life, all the things that God has delivered us from, that we would think about our current circumstances, the things that we are wrestling with, whether it's physical ailments, whether it's relational problems, whether it is financial strain, whether it is just going through the difficulties of raising teenagers or being able to care for young little ones that are screaming through the night. As we are faced with all of these difficulties, where are we placing our hope and what, what do we think we need to do in order to move towards a place of peace. And if it is anything other than placing all of our hope and trust in Christ and crying out to God for him to be the one to change our circumstances, to free us from these things that weigh us down, I think our hope, our trajectory is in the wrong place. It's wonderful that we have a God who looks upon us, who thinks upon us, who delights to have a relationship with us. It's wonderful that we can be in this place where we have this real relationship with, with, with God. And it's not one-sided. We're not talking to a God who can't hear us, but we are hearing the one who hears our cries. For me, there's, there's no better thought in my mind to kind of just stew upon, to think through. And what great truth to be thankful in. There's nothing more than what has been laid out in this, in this text that I can think of that's greater to be thankful in than what God has done in our lives. So let us pray. Father, we thank you for just your divine deliverance in our lives. God, for anyone here this evening who, uh, Lord, maybe has not confessed Christ as Lord, Lord, I pray that they would repent of their sins, that they would 
turn to you, the true and living God, that they would desire to have life in Christ, that they would desire to have life within the body. Lord, that they would find uh, just this abundant life to be uh, a life that's worthy of, of, of giving you praise. Um, Lord, that we would, as a church, stir each other towards uh, thinking about uh, these wonder, wonderful deeds that you've accomplished in our lives. Father, I pray that uh, for anyone who's hurting this evening, that's just going through difficult circumstances right now, Lord, I pray that they would have a, a greater view of, of your deliverance in their life. Lord, that they would have a, a great hope in knowing that one day you will make all things new again, that even in our current circumstances, even if Lord, our circumstances lead us to death here on this, on this earth. Lord, that we can have this great hope knowing that you have given us eternity in Christ, that our citizenship is in heaven. Lord, as Christmas season approaches, Lord, and there are people that are uh, asking questions, uh, just hearing songs about your son, Jesus Christ, I pray, God, that uh, this song of praise uh, of thanksgiving would be upon all of our lips, Lord, that we would desire to go and tell uh, all around us, Lord, in our neighborhoods, uh, in, in the local schools for those that are students here tonight, um, Lord, in our workplaces, God, that we would testify of, of what you have accomplished in our lives and, and the life that they can have. Father, thank you, God, for our time of just being able to sit and hear your word. Um, Lord, I pray that we would be mindful of your word throughout this week, Lord, that you would give us sweet moments of just being able to meditate upon it, whether it's in the morning or in the evening. Um, Lord, that we would be families that are desiring to spend time together, that we would be families discipling our children. Um, Lord, that we would desire for our children to, to know your word. To, God, that they might not be like us, a stubborn generation. Thank you, Father, for your grace in our lives. We pray in Christ's name, amen.